Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for the input. Yeah, you just kind of threw that at me. I didn't know we were starting so quick. Well, you know, we just get started here, get down to biz. All right, yeah, I'm, like I'm this ready. Movie. I'm starting to get ready. Cool, 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 cool. So we usually start with show notes. We actually don't really have much here. I don't know if you have any show notes from last time. We haven't actually aired the last show yet. No, we, yeah. We kind of had to do this one a little bit early and record this a little early because I'm going on vacation. So hell yeah. Nice. Finally a nice vacation after all this COVID bullshit. Jealous. Anyway, we pretty much just pop right into it, I think. Yeah. This week, we're doing The Matrix, 1999, the original. It's a must-watch. I, I still find it crazy that some people haven't watched it. I don't know many people that haven't, and I question why you haven't seen this yet. So let's talk the plot first, really quick. The Matrix is a simulated reality in which humans are the slaves to the artificial intelligence they created to try to save their world. The machines farm human bodies for their power while keeping them content within a hyper-realistic copy of their civilization at its peak in 1999. Neo is a corporate drone by day and an elusive hacker by night. His goal is to contact the super hackers who know what the Matrix is. When he finds them, or rather, when they find him, they open his mind to the truth and reveal that he is the one. Nothing like peak 1999 for the oh, human yeah. race. <clears throat> yeah. Still got that dial-up internet. Oh, yeah. There was some uh, some good times, I remember, being seven years old. <laughs> yeah. I was actually playing some video games back then. They were just super crude. Yeah, I had a PlayStation 1 at that point. Might have been peak of my human existence. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so The Matrix is a movie stock full of action sci-fi with a mix of deep theological questions like are we living in the simulation all of that stuff i i wanted to kind of add into the plot there a little bit mm, and yeah. touch on before we hop into the meat and potatoes of everything yeah who is this movie for honestly this movie has such a mashup of genres i'm I'm probably just gonna list them out really quick and then we can dive into a couple of them maybe so if you're a fan of action films sci-fi interested in the cyberpunk genre maybe you're a big hong kong action cinema fan or a fan of post-apocalyptic films this film has everything the matrix is just like top tier of all of those genres essentially it really brings like each essential element of the genres and mashes them together in what i think was probably the first big movie that really nailed getting so much into one film yeah, yeah it borrows that idea a little bit maybe from uh, Star Wars having that kind of Western and samurai mashup with the sci-fi, but you're right. There's there's some elements here. There's actually a quote from James Cameron, I believe, that basically said that the Matrix essentially combined all and took all these great pieces from all these different genres and just perfected it in a, such a way that no film is ever going to meet all of the tweaks and all the re the refined components 
of each of these kind of meshed different genres, basically, which is really interesting from a guy like James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. And really, this movie also brings in some brand new stuff Mm -hmm. within the cinematography and the special effects that got replicated later and influenced so many other great movies that you know. Yeah, and that's a really great point as well. Like, I kind of touched on that if you're a fan of Hong Kong action cinema, that The Matrix is deeply inspired by this genre. And up until this point, a lot of that has kind of stayed in the Eastern cinema and really hasn't made its way into Hollywood and isn't as prevalent as it is today. So stuff like the wire-foo technique of filming that... uh, Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and Jet Li and even the director John Woo all were famous for it. it, At this point in time, hasn't really gotten to the Western audiences yet. So this is kind of a gateway into that world a little bit. Yeah, at least not the mainstream. They had quite a few other movies that were um, like you would have to go watch that for that. But this really meshed it in with something that captured the mainstream stream audience. Yeah, that's actually something I want to touch on a little bit as well, is that this film almost does a good balance of pandering to the audience, with, you know, hitting those action highs, while also exploring, like, the deep theological ideas and themes. So just a really great gateway into that genre, basically. And all of these stars just nailed their acting like it's yes. it's a mix of the oh. acting and action that just elevates everything yeah i also touched on apocalyptic films like if you're really interested in that futuristic dystopian kind of world where it's a human versus machine kind of idea this is top tier again of that I could also draw maybe some comparisons to Rick and Morty a little bit. Obviously, there's not that comedy there, but the true Rick and Morty fans, as they'd like to call themselves, (laughs) are the people who dive into the lore and the sci-fi elements of Rick and Morty, and that's where you're going to find the enjoyment in The Matrix. Honestly, it, it really has a widespread audience appeal like if you're interested in any one of those then again this is just a good gateway film into any one of those genres so i think that just about anyone can watch this and hop in and enjoy the ride basically for any of the different reasons i mentioned in there i can't think of a reason why somebody wouldn't want to watch the matrix to be honest I think there are some people that haven't watched it and at this point they feel it's too late and they may see the references in things like Shrek and uh, a few other, like it's so kind of ingrained in pop culture that you see the references everywhere to specific scenes of the Matrix and it might be something that you just haven't actually dove into Mm -hmm. and it's very worth watching because it brings all of those references together and it's amazing acting and amazing action yeah and that's kind of the thing is if you look back at the first few episodes of films that we've done the matrix is the one that 
feels new and still relevant almost kind of thing. Like we didn't really have to dive too far down the rabbit hole to find this. The cultural impact, like people still reference the matrix over 20 years on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I, I can't recommend this movie enough. So we'll, we'll get into personal reviews later, but just know that I'm heavily biased on this. Yeah. <laughs> when to watch. I kind of struggled with this one a little bit too. Honestly, this is a blockbuster movie. So you kind of want to watch it on a big screen. You don't want to watch it on some small screen like, I don't know, while you're at the cottage or something like that. You want to watch it on a bigger screen on like a Friday night kind of thing with all of the different aspects and elements to the matrix you don't necessarily have to be fully paying attention to enjoy the parts because there's some really great action parts Mm. but also if you're there and you want to be fully invested in a movie it does have so much going on with it and so much themes and and all this lore kind of thing that it kind of it leaves those little breadcrumbs as you go that you can Basically, you can get as much or as little out of the Matrix as you want and on any given watch. And still enjoy it. And yeah. still enjoy yeah. it. This is a movie where, and there's probably a handful of these, where if I was flipping through channels and I found the Matrix, I think I could probably start watching at just about any point that it's at. Yeah, and uh, for the younger viewers, we used to have to flip through channels. <laughs> I honestly, even flipping through like Netflix to yeah. decide on what to stream on, there's been a few times where I've just been like, eh, I'm just down to watch The Matrix again, probably. So, I actually hadn't watched it in a long time, and re-watching it was just a very good experience. Overall, it's a great rewatch, and there's always little details and like deeper themes and meanings that you might catch. Yeah. It's a great movie for catching those small things. Yeah. It's a good catch for those internet sleuths out there who, yeah. any anyone, maybe we add this to the, uh, when, or who, who should watch this movie. Anyone who's uh, interested in the true crime, like putting all those pieces together kind of uh, podcast and all of that stuff. In reference to our last episode on Eyes Wide Shut, we really dug into all the details there. And if this is something that you kind of want to get into and start catching things, The Matrix is a great rewatch for that without going like too deep the way you might in Eyes Wide Shut. It's not extremely deep within The Matrix, but there is a lot there for you to catch those cool little details that made this movie so great. Yeah, and I want to compare and contrast the two of those a little bit later, I think, as well, because I think there's some interesting components to each of those. So, mm-hmm. All right, where to watch? Currently, The Matrix is only streaming on Crave with the Stars edition, I believe. I think you almost have to pay for Stars in addition there. Unfortunately, as I remembered, The the Matrix was on Netflix, but they I believe they actually just took it off because of the fourth movie releasing yeah, soon. Yeah. They do still have the second and third Matrix movies on Netflix, so but you're going to have to do a little bit of digging maybe to find the original. Personally, I've got it on DVD, uh, so it wasn't hard for me, but 
there's there's plenty of sites where you can uh, rent it for for cheap. All right, let's do characters and people you may know. So we've got to start with Keanu Reeves, obviously. He's playing Thomas Anderson, better known in the film as Neo, his hacker and kind of chosen name. Neo's basically, well, he's the one. Yeah. He's he's the prophesized chosen one to save humanity from the clutches of the machines in this dystopian world basically and free humanity's minds from the matrix itself yeah and he's a super fun character obviously it's keanu reeves and uh he actually i love that they slipped in a little whoa yeah into this movie because like referencing how many times he said it before and his bill and ted's adventure movie yeah, because this is kind of a turning point in Keanu Reeves' career a little bit. Like, before this, he's really known for the Bill and Ted series, which is a fun series. The actual, not a soft reboot, but a long-time coming sequel, Bill and Ted Face the Music, is on Netflix streaming right now. I don't know if you've watched it. I haven't. Jess and I really enjoyed it. Like, it was just a I could dumb, see it being fun good. movie. Yeah, yeah. So... As well, you also would know Keanu Reeves of recent from the John Wick series, which is just a great set of films so far. We're three deep now. There's a fourth coming out in the next year or two. And honestly, there's not many trilogies where I could argue that each movie gets better as it goes. Otherwise, prior to then, Keanu Reeves was, like I said, doing the Bill and Ted series and Point Break was another big one for him. But The Matrix is really what put him on the mark, basically. And interesting enough, generally speaking, you and I don't really talk about casting choices very often because it's not really relevant to our viewers, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But I just want to talk a little bit about this, that Neo was almost played by Will Smith instead. Yeah, and Trinity by Jada. Really? Yeah. So Jada Pinkett Smith. She's in the second movie. She was offered the Trinity role, mm-hmm. and at the same time, Will Smith kind of was uh, interested in finding out what this movie was about, and he just didn't get it. Yeah, he didn't get it. That's why he didn't take it. He instead turned it down for the critical turd Wild Wild West. Yeah, I loved that movie as a kid. I, I see now why it was so bad, the Wild Wild West one, mm-hmm. but he really messed up here. Honestly, though, I can't see the matrix with the same dna with will smith as keanu reeves keanu reeves brings something special to this and you can argue all day till you're blue in the face about keanu's acting talents this movie was made for him it really was and i think it really displayed like there's some very amazing scenes in this where it's just pure acting talent Mm -hmm. that may not have been seen from him before this yeah The thing with Keanu is he has a very flat voice, and despite any of his other acting chops, I think people are a little put off by that occasionally. I think that's the the component to his acting that sometimes falls flat, for lack of a better term. Yeah, there were a few smaller dramas that he was in previously that Mm. his acting was very flat, Mm -hmm. and I think... One, it worked in the Matrix for certain scenes, but yeah. he also 
rose above that in a lot of scenes in the matrix. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit in themes as well with Mm. his character. So next we've already mentioned the character Trinity, who's kind of opposite Keanu Reeves, essentially the love interest here played by a wicked, awesome Carrie Ann Moss. So Carrie Ann Moss, you may know from Memento, which came out about a year after this, which is both of us, one of our favorite movies. She also has been recently playing Jerry Hogarth in the Marvel shows on Netflix, most notably in the Jessica Jones series, which is kind of interesting. But she's been in a whole host of other TV shows kind of in the last 20 years. I honestly, after re-watching The Matrix and kind of thinking about it, I'm really shocked that Carrie Ann Moss's career didn't follow the trajectory that Charlize Theron's career has kind of evolved into over the last 10 years being the action heroine because her action scenes in this are fantastic the opening action scene is amazing that opening scene with her set everything in motion and it was just perfect yeah when she kicks the guy in the face in like a standing position she like kicks her leg like over behind her body it's so hard to describe but when you see it you're just like whoa yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah she she cast perfectly i wish we got her in more action movies after this is is my only gripe really um after that we've got Lawrence fishborn playing morpheus who's kind of the leader of this ragtag pack of of people who have escaped the matrix essentially and he's kind of the inciting character to push Neo outside of his comfort limit and accept the reality in which he's living kind of thing. Yeah, and his acting in this, his, the delivery of his lines... So perfect. Absolutely perfect. Him and Agent Smith have the yes. best um, delivered lines, and I th- they've really nailed a very unique cadence of voice. Yeah each of them in a different way yeah. where with Lawrence Fishburne and Morpheus, he enunciates everything. Yes. And it's just perfect. He creates a whole he adds persona. So much gravity to yeah. everything he says. And that's exactly what the character needed was the gravity of the mm-hmm. situation. And he has this way of believing in himself and believing in others that makes you want to believe as well. Yeah. And everything is so sure to him. Yes. Because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Lawrence Fishburne, you may know him from the TV series Blackish, who's been a series regular for years now. He also had some appearances in John Wick because there's no way they couldn't have him appear yeah, there. And yeah. he's a pretty great character in the John Wick series. He as really well. is. Yeah. As well, he was in the Hannibal show alongside Mads Mickelson, which I haven't watched yet, but apparently is phenomenal. I've watched a little bit of it, and what I did see, what's his name, Mads Mickelson, he plays a perfect Hannibal, and Mm. Lawrence Fishburne does a great job. I think he's part of the detective side. Yeah. Yeah. The last main character that I want to talk about, you've already hinted, it's Agent Smith, played by Hugo Weaving, sorry, played by Hugo Weaving. This is a career-defining role for Hugo 
<laughs> I can't see his name. This is a career-defining film for Hugo Weaving, in my opinion. You know, he's got Lord of the Rings. He's playing Elrod in there. He was also V and V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. But for me, I always remember Hugo Weaving as the Mr. Anderson, yeah, Agent yeah. Smith. Yeah, and the del- like the delivery of his lines. And the the facial expressions and the body expressions, you you learn that he's part of the Matrix in a certain sense. Yeah. And it displays, it comes across so well in his acting because it's not natural. The cadence is different. Yeah. The the way his mouth moves, everything, he, he put everything into like defining this character as something that's not exactly human but replicating it in a and that's way. a great point as well because essentially they're just computer programs but for agent smith specifically it's evolved beyond that the hatred for humanity mm-hmm. is in every single syllable of every word he says and yeah. the disgust there's a moment later on in the film where he's kind of having a one-on-one with ma- one of the main stars mm-hmm. and he's like in that character's face and he's saying like there's a certain kind of stink that humanity has and just the aggression and yeah. hatred in his voice nobody else could have done that no it was perfect great overall acting and delivery of every single moment of his uh his screen time yeah he's my favorite character in the film by a mile morpheus is probably a close second and we're rounding out with neo and trinity here but honestly you aren't wrong to argue any one of them. They're all just so perfectly cast and mm-hmm. just killed their role in every regard. Yeah, with um, with re- reference to the last episode, I kind of went into the names and why they why each character had their name the way it is. And uh, so Neo is a sort of anagram for one because he's the Ooh. one. Yeah, okay. I've got yeah, it right here. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that one was super obvious, but a second uh, deeper level to that, his name is Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Anderson kind of means um, son of son or something like that. That part doesn't matter, but Thomas, um, his first name, I was wondering, why is he Thomas Anderson? It is kind of just a boring like corporate drone kind of name, right. but Thomas is in reference, it's a biblical reference, in the fact that Thomas was the one who doubted Jesus. So Neo kind of comes into this as doubting. Yes. And that's He's really not important sure, to character. And he has to be shown and proven. Yeah. So that's very interesting. And then uh, on to Trinity as another Christianity reference. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trinity, the Holy Cross, whatever. But she kind of ends up saving certain things, saving Neo... Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> yeah, you could go farther into that. But um, another one, Morpheus, mm-hmm. is in reference to a god of dreams. Interesting. Yeah, so he, all almost all of his lines are referencing waking and dream yes. states and things like that. So that actually plays a big part of his character and his name. Uh, Cypher, he's one we haven't mentioned yet no but we'll get into him yeah we'll get into him but he uh basically it's a spy reference or someone who you're not sure it's Mm, a code you're not you're not sure which way it's gonna go right 
um, even the Nebuchadnezzar, which is the ship that uh, the survivors outside the Matrix live on, mm-hmm. that is in reference to another Christianity element, which, so this is, it's a partial theme throughout the film, and Nebuchadnezzar means watch over my heir, like H-E-I-R, so someone who's about to like come and be the one to take over, kind of. Yeah, there's also some, even beyond the biblical reference, references, he's got, it looks like he's a character, not a character, but an actual person from, like, the 500 BCs, basically. It says here that he played a significant part in Jewish history, so there's there's a lot of tie-ins to there. What a great name, too, for a, a for ship. A ship. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a few other names, and I'll leave that to viewers to maybe at least keep an eye out for. Yeah, yeah, and do some extra research into. Yeah, the Nebuchadnezzar is a great cyberpunk name, in my opinion. I... I could have seen myself as a teenager probably naming a ship on some video game, the Nebuchadnezzar, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so yeah, so you mentioned Cypher, played by Joe Pantolonio. Pantolonio? Yeah. yeah, I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> Just a lot of syllables. Um, so, he's not necessarily a front man, like a main starring actor, but he has some depth in his roles. He's have made 153 film and TV appearances, and you would actually probably remember him as Teddy from Memento. That's yeah. So there's two actual Memento main characters here with some crossover there, which is really interesting. Mm. I didn't find too much other crossover beyond that. Another character that you don't, we don't really find too much about, but her name's Switch. Yes, and. She's the only one wearing white. So basically in the in the Matrix and outside of the Matrix, uh, you have two different versions of yourself. And she was actually written as a female character outside of the Matrix and a male character inside the right. Matrix. But they didn't, the producers didn't allow them to go forward with that. Because we're talking about the Wachowski directors yeah the wachowski sisters who at the time were the wachowski brothers yeah so there's there's a lot of transgender connections in the film and and some themes there and even some of the sisters later directing or creations like they're also known for creating sense eight which is a very famous transgender tv show personally i haven't watched it yet i've heard it's really great things but the thing that always threw me off is that netflix kind of canceled it after part way through and with like a big cliffhanger so that always throws me off starting something very great concept to that show and a lot of good execution Mm -hmm. and i kind of wish they did continue it yeah and also they were the ones to bring v for Vendetta to the main screen, which kind of makes sense that they had Hugo Weaving kind of return mm. for that. So last character, Spoon Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He actually had some cool other things that he went off to do after Yeah, there this. wasn't really anything big, though, but people you may know. 
That's the title is People You May Know. <laughs> he did a web series called People You May really? Know. Really? And I was did. like, yeah. And I was like, hey, People You May Know. That's, hey, that's kind of what of I'm our, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he was a big actor in Australia in uh, theater after this. So he went on to a, a, a successful career in theater. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, he did a good job as Little Spoon Boy. Little Spoon Boy. Makes me think of Spoon Man a good song and i feel like almost everyone who has or hasn't watched this movie has seen the reference to there is no spoon exactly <laughs> yeah there's a lot of iconic lines there's a lot of iconic ideas a and lot of scenes. iconic characters and scenes yeah th- this movie is chock full of them and he's definitely one of them mm-hmm. for a very brief appearance but it was it was mind-bending and spoon bending and spoon bending all right let's dive into themes a little bit now so we've already kind of hinted on this a little bit yeah so a lot of religious themes here like you can draw the connection very easily between neo and jesus yeah so morpheus and some kind of prophet prophet. yeah there is just a straight up prophet in here being the oracle which yeah. we didn't discuss in the characters, but just there's an oracle. Her name yeah. is what she does, so. <laughs> she sees things, yeah. Another important theme is the power of belief here. So Neo is really shown as a regular guy with real-world limitations. Like, I love this scene where the agents are after him in his office building. And, you know, if, if we're showing like a superhero film, this regular guy is told to go outside of like a 20-story building, probably even higher than that, probably a 40-story building, and walk around the the outside ledge to get to escape. Yeah, okay, in a superhero movie, the character is probably going to do that, but in this, he looks out and he starts to walk out and he's like, nah, like I literally cannot do this. Yeah, and what's great here is that Morpheus gives him the option and he doesn't follow th- like he doesn't follow through with the what you would expect because you have seen all this crazy action and then you think oh he's just going to be like a regular superhero type cast person yeah. but he doesn't do it and he's like I can't do this yeah it's it's a really great trajectory that it kind of sends him on because there's no easy answers or pointed set direction for neo he doesn't just you know suddenly develop the iron man suit and now he's iron man he doesn't stumble into the role of captain america or Mm. thor or whoever you want to list he he really has to make these decisions for himself and he's it's, he's told and it's implied very on, early on in the Matrix that he is the one, but he's not framed as that type of character. He doesn't know it. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. And the whole journey to potentially becoming the one is a little difficult. Yeah, and it's it's a really exciting journey to mm-hmm. follow with him. And it's very believable, too. Yeah, and what I love about that scene where he's running f- from the agents yeah. and on the phone with Morpheus who's telling him he has to escape in this crazy way mm-hmm. is just how he's running through the cubicles of his regular everyday job and it's just so like erratic it's what you would expect from any regular office worker if he was told you have to run 
but you also have to stay really low. Yeah. He's, does it all funny. <laughs> this is where Keanu Reeves has that humble way about him where he doesn't have the bravado that somebody like a Will Smith would have brought to this character. Exactly. And and that's really important for the development of Neo as a character. Yeah. He gets a lot of mixed messaging as well and you know other people believe in him but he doesn't believe in himself and and there's so many indicators that you know what he might not just be the one kind of thing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and he has to believe it for himself eventually. Yeah. So another theme is just in general human or man versus technology yeah. and humans versus the environment all kind of combined into one because that's why we're in this universe. The human race couldn't prevent their own destruction. So they went all in on creating this AI, but it obviously didn't work out well for them. This AI that created the matrix, this machine system, they first tried to create a utopia where they could keep all of these humans and use them as batteries and keep them content with uploading their minds to this utopianistic version of humanity, but none of the humans believed it. So then they went back and recreated what is perfectly worded by Hugo Weaving and Agent Smith's character Mm -hmm. as they need struggle. They need it to not be perfect and yeah, Yeah. despair. And they need to always be striving to work through something tough yeah there's this idea of free will that kind of comes into play here it also comes into the play with the oracle character and that that's kind of one of the big theological ideas that's kind of explored here is you know if if we're given a destiny in our lives did we choose every step to that point or was everything predefined for us before then and the matrix doesn't offer necessarily easy answers to that, but it, it also points in the direction of, of free will over predestiny basically. And the perfect scene, the tiniest little scene that introduces that concept so well is when Neo goes to meet the Oracle who is supposed to tell him something amazing. And he walks in and the first thing I believe she says is don't worry about the vase And then he's like, what vase? And then knocks over a vase. And then she asks, if I didn't mention the vase, do you think you would have knocked it over still? Yeah, it's a it's a great idea. And it's it's a chicken and egg kind of dilemma. And there's no real answer to it. It's whatever the answer essentially you want it to be. Yeah, it's great. Just they explore so much here. Yeah. And there's also kind of these large questions about the universe itself, like the the idea of living in a simulation was theorized prior to this but made popular to wide audiences by the matrix essentially definitely yeah so i'll talk a little bit about cultural impacts a little bit later as well so talked about the idea of free will cypher the character doesn't want to live outside of the matrix because outside of the matrix is is such a brutal and hard world and life that living in the matrix is that bliss of ignorance essentially and the belief more of a belief that free will exists so he essentially is 
trying to figure out how to get back into it and mm-hmm. spends a lot of the film kind of going down that avenue. And within philosophy, this is a prime example of Plato's allegory of the cave. Mm. If you haven't gone into that, I very highly suggest you do because it is a such a cool depiction of basically Cypher's character. I'll let you go into it. It's it's a very cool allegory, and it's from Plato. It's so old, and it's then re- recreated in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty the cool. The peak of human existence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the last kind of point that I wanted to discuss here is it's a little bit effects in filming, but we're getting into that anyway. So the cast was actually required to understand and explain the ideas and concept of the matrix and self itself basically and so the directors basically gave the actors homework of read different philosopher or scientists sci-fi writer no science, no. like actual science theories and stuff like that, because the oh, cool. the theory of simulation is an actual theory. So I, I actually have a list here if you're interested in that kind of thing to dive into later. There is the simulacra and simulation. There's Kevin Kelly's Out of Control, the New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and the Economic World. If you want to look at philosophers that were important to how the Matrix was developed, look at Gene Baudrillard and Dylan Evans. So basically, each of the actors essentially before filming got started had to explain all of the philosophical ideas and nuances of the Matrix itself. That's really cool They they got them to really get into their characters in that way and really understand what they were trying to portray and it shows just in how perfect each person was in their role yeah exactly all right so we're moving into effects and filming let's just call it for what it is we're in effects to filming now all right so they had hired at this point in time asian fight choreographer essentially to frame the shots and and help train the actors and the way he focused on each of the actors and their characters is actually really interesting so for keanu reeves he focused on having him be diligent Mm -hmm. whereas morpheus was was meant to be resilient hugo weaving was going for precision like a machine and carrie ann moss obviously having a little bit of feminine grace there so and that was John Woo? Yes, John Woo. And this actually took a, a lot, a large toll on the actors and the stunt doubles as well because they really demanded a lot from them in learning how to use the wire foo technology because a lot of this isn't green screen at this point in time. This is actual like wiring of the actors and having them, you know, do their Kung Fu kind of moves, their mixed martial arts moves while being strung up in the air, essentially. So, yeah. And this was the first time they used that technique and moved the camera around them for those super specific scenes, like the intro scene with Trinity and with Keanu, 
doing the bullet dodging, yeah, which the, everyone knows. That yeah, scene. the bullet time, essentially. Yeah. Bullet time, that slow-mo kind of seeing the action in slow-mo frames was made famous by The Matrix. And it essentially was perfected by this as well. They use a lot of camera techniques, like you mentioned, that haven't really been used in the past or haven't been used in conjunction with other filming techniques. There's there's kind of a mismatch of ideas here that kind of all worked out together. And that's actually something really interesting that I was going to mention. In the bullet kind of uh, time, like the bullet scene where Nero, Neo does what people call now the Matrix of doing, yeah, the backwards fall back kind of motion and dodging the bullets. Mm. They didn't know if that was going to work because it had never been done before. So they actually shot some different footage and used some different frames just in case it didn't work out how they thought it was going to. Yeah, and they, I, I believe they used also a... Uh photography technique where they like gathered so many different frames and then lined them up like after the fact so yeah. they they obviously really had to try at really nailing this mm-hmm. and they did it yeah they did it yeah and and there's so many films that have been directly inspired by that since so i was mentioning the injuries here a little bit like just about every single one of the main actors and also their stunt doubles were injured in one way or another and that actually had an impact on what they were able to do and what their characters were able to do because if you think about it trinity had all of those awesome kicks all of the time Mm -hmm. where neo didn't actually keanu reeves didn't have that kind of mobility and the reason for that is he actually had a spinal injury during the training and so he he didn't have the kind of mobility to do the kicks yeah that's crazy because obviously they tried to at first and they would have had to readjust Mm -hmm. they probably wrote in all these crazy things but the way he really was in the movie it it kind of worked because he wasn't doing anything too crazy, but it was all with, um, it wasn't precision. What did you say? His character? Diligence. Diligence. Yeah. So it was just good technique. Yeah. And, and perseverance kind of thing to keep going kind of, yeah, it's, it's super interesting how all of that choreography kind of came to be. Very physical film for the actors. Very physical film. A lot of bruising, a lot of broken, bones or sprains all of that sort of stuff like i said so filmed mostly in sydney australia for budgeting purposes always trying to cut down on the budget where possible but they did make sure to film it in a way to make it appear that it was a generic american city they they didn't really show any landmark things from sydney australia essentially yeah the only thing that i ever saw referenced was the restaurant where cypher is eating steak and there it's it used to be a specific restaurant in sydney but no one would really know that by watching it just looked like a everything looked american yeah there's a couple points that i have left here very specific here but i know you're going to get a kick out of this the rooftop scene with trinity escaping the agents right at the beginning That was actually filmed on the same set as Dark City, which is another classic from this era that, in contrast to The Matrix, has largely been forgotten, except for those real hardcore sci-fi junkies like you and I. Yeah, yeah, and I loved that movie, 
And there are other scenes in The Matrix that also sort of reference that in just the filming style. You see super long, drawn out shadows from like the bad characters in on the city streets. And that's also in line with that. There's a lot there. Yeah, very similar themes and ideas, and they came out in the same year. But again, this speaks to the accessibility a little bit. I Mm -hmm. think The the Matrix is a far more accessible movie than Dark City is. Still a great film. You love sci-fi. You got to go watch it. We're going to talk about it at some point on this podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, and there's another one actually that came out a few years later that I loved but did not match the level of cultural relevance Mm -hmm. as the matrix it's called equilibrium yes christian bale yes jess is a huge fan of equilibrium i haven't watched it start to finish yet that was one of my favorite movies as like a young teen that's something that's heavily inspired by the matrix so if you want to see legacy look no further than equilibrium yeah the last kind of effects and filming thing that i want to talk about here there's a lot of heavy inspiration specifically from the Ghost in the Shell anime film. It's a Japanese anime film released in 1995. And I believe it has a Scarlett Johansson remake recently that yep. had a lot of controversial press around it. Mm-hmm. It uh, didn't It didn't do too well. I, I didn't no. see it, but I heard about it. And it th- there is some rel- uh, cultural relevance there within anime and everything but yeah i didn't see it apparently yeah apparently the anime itself from 1995 is amazing mm-hmm. i i read some reviews about it earlier and i i think i ended up adding it to our list of potential movies in the future apparently the matrix was actually supposed to be just a comic book at first the way it was written and then somehow it got into the Wachowski's hands and they turned it into what it became. But it was never released as a comic book. But there, there is some kind of little comic book world fact there. All right. Yeah, so it could have been just a comic book and we got it as what it should have been and what it is. The last effects and filming thing here, the agents were modeled to look like the men in black and not the men in black that you might be thinking the film series but even what the men in black themselves are modeled off after there's there's a whole lot of history beyond behind people seeing these men in black figures after crazy things have happened in their lives essentially so a lot really really interesting bit of crypto history almost i would say there it it's not obviously confirmed by any means but still interesting yeah another important fact within how they filmed this movie and the effects was the use of lighting Mm -hmm. they that set the whole mood everything within the matrix when the characters are actually in the matrix has a tinge of green and it's supposed to it gives off this sickly vibe synthetic vibe almost synthetic as well. and sickly like yeah. the the it's like low light in some scenes where they're it's quite green and yeah everything's not right and then as soon as you see scenes outside of the matrix they use a blue light and it's also not super a healthy light but it's still better 
So overall, it gives a certain vibe to the whole film. The just the colors that they were using to give us the sense that within the Matrix, everything is kind of sickly and it's wrong, and then outside of the Matrix, it's better, but it's definitely not good and human and like there's no sun outside and the whole look was essential to giving everything that this movie became yeah one thing that i wanted to say really quick with the effects and filming as well is i actually tried to summarize how bullet time works and it's really complicated actually like you kind of briefly touched on it the different camera angles and everything um and they also kind of used a different way of taking shots basically and frames the way that cameras generally work is it's about 24 frames per second because that's also kind of how the human eye works a little bit as well and so when they were doing it they were doing like twelve thousand frames per second basically yeah which is insane yeah (laughs) and obviously took a lot of time but it came out perfectly yeah it really did pay off all right let's get into score here so heavy work done on sound effects, obviously. There's a lot of different punching and combat noises, and those were made this, from. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for burping into it. No, that wasn't a burp. I was about to. I was about to say the sweet sound of latex squeaking. <laughs> that latex between my cheeks. Yeah, that uh, definitely features in uh, certain scenes. <laughs> Well, so actually, all right, let's step back into the heavy effects of filming as well here. Even the characters' costumes were developed in a way to facilitate their movements and their specific combat styles as well. Exactly. Neo's had a lot of Chinese monk-type vibes with also his style of fighting, which influenced his style of fighting or is part of it. Trinity's got the the very latex heavy, but it's also able to facilitate those crazy kicks, basically. Yeah, yeah. She gets herself into a lot of tight situations, so she wears very tight clothings. Yeah, but the, it's also got the maneuverability. Yeah, like, the, it's both, exactly. basically. Yeah, so, so she's very mobile. Mm-hmm. I just want to say as well, as a side note, Morpheus is like non... I don't know what they're called. They're like. traditionally called pince nez. Okay, his glasses. Yeah, is what because we're they about. don't actually have frames yeah. that uh, go over the ears. They yeah. they pinch his nose, and so each pair of sunglasses was crafted for each character. Wow! And the guy who created them, his name's Richard Walker. He has a sunglass company called Blind, okay. I believe, or B L I N D E. Mm-hmm. Kim Barrett is the costume designer. She had to go to great lengths to stretch her budget for the costumes overall. Yeah. And this was one area of the sunglasses that she really wanted to nail. And the Wachowskis were saying, you can't really just spend that much on just sunglasses. (laughs) So she was like, okay, I'm going to have them made. And then she also got what, whatever was available to her through her 
whatever production system they have and she mixed them all up and she was like which ones do you think fit the characters best and obviously they picked out the exact ones for each character that she had designed so that was a really cool uh, way she got around that budget issue otherwise for each costume she went to great lengths to get end of the role designer fabrics and pieces that fit the budget but perfectly encaptured each character so she did an amazing job yeah so i mean no other character or actor can pull off those non-frame glasses like morpheus could (laughs) yeah (laughs) you look like an asshole walking around like that exactly yeah they were so cool though they were were so so essential to his character everything just embodied morpheus Yeah, yeah yeah that just that just self-confidence that he radiates and and self-confidence in his own beliefs basically nobody else pulls that off yeah and what's really cool is that anytime you see him in that outfit is within the matrix and they bring it up in the movie that each person envisions themselves as someone like true to their core within the matrix so when you first see neo re-enter the matrix he's wearing something that's kind of comfortable whereas morpheus is wearing uh his classic outfit he's been in and out of the matrix so many times and um so that you see that in each character for example switch is wearing white mm-hmm. and she has white hair and um it was just like a cool little unique to each character right i was curious what you think you would wear if you were suddenly to be taken out of the matrix and then put back in what what do you think your like core outfit would be assless chaps (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty close to the matrix in a certain there's a certain corner of the matrix where that works yeah we're getting to the second movie now (laughs) yeah 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 um (laughs) for me i was uh I was thinking that I actually really love the sweaters and things that they're wearing in the Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. That's it was almost like a inspiration for Yeezy's line where it was like chic homeless. Right. They're I love their sweaters when they're in the Nebuchadnezzar, and I was like, that's what I would wear if I was in the Matrix. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going definitely trench coat, like. There's no other area where you're getting away with the trench coat nowadays yeah, other than the yeah. Matrix. So we're going that style. Probably going to go Morpheus. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> we're way off topic. Let's get back to score here. So Don Davis scored the film using... And this is, again, this is where score is really important because, you know, the the musician kind of looks at the themes of the films that they're scoring and tries to tie the music and the type of music and the type of different instruments into the mood and the themes and, and the action, etc. So he's, he noticed while kind of scoring it, that the idea of 
reflections and the frequency of mirrors used throughout the film. So he used that as a theme kind of in his scoring and used an interesting music technique known as counterpoints, which is essentially, this is the best definition I found online, was that where essentially harmonically the two different opposing musical styles are interdependent yet independent in both the rhythm and melody. It's almost like playing the piano with two hands and one hand is doing something like really fast and like high pitched and the other one is doing something maybe a little bit more slow and methodical. But And they both could be independent, but also the way that they both work with each other is very special. Hmm. That's a cool aspect of it. I hadn't seen in... Uh probably any other film that I can think of. And so the last kind of item with score that I wanted to quickly mention was they used the different types of sound to denote where humans or machines were the more dominant force in certain scenes. If you want more, go ahead. Yeah, so within reflections in The Matrix, there's a heavy theme of using the sunglasses and I believe even the doorknobs and things like that, mm-hmm. where when you look into Morpheus's eye, his sunglasses, when he's giving Neo the decision of the two pills, each lens is a different reality. There's one where he's already reaching for the red pill and there's one where he's, he's not and so the the separation of those even that was they were filmed differently and just reflected differently in the glasses and there's multiple scenes throughout the movie where you if you are looking at the sunglasses you see a reflection that may or may not be the current reality oh yeah that's a great point it's yeah. really interesting yeah it's a fun little thing they threw in there a little easter egg yeah that's something that i really noticed throughout is how often we see uh, instead of seeing the thing itself we see the reflection of the thing which is being uh highlighted essentially yeah yeah another effect that was cool was the use of numbers and anytime you see numbers there's some significance basically and with neo's apartment his apartment is 101 so that is hinting at both code language, mm-hmm. binary, and the fact that he is the one. Super right. obvious, but it's just a l- nice little touch. And then the first time you meet Trinity, you see 303, which is Trinity. And that's just like another cool little thing they add in. There's so many small details. It's great to catch one. And I think I caught that one without thinking about it or without researching it as well that was fun honestly i didn't even see any of that in my research so that's a that's a good note you're you're very good at having that eye for detail in a lot of these films yeah and that's actually i'm always looking for something that's going to give me some kind of information later and um that's yeah that's something i'm always going to catch yeah all right i'm going to go back to film themes here for a sec There's obviously another theme is the modern day Alice in Wonderland kind of going down the rabbit hole. It's it's referenced so heavily in the first 30 to 45 minutes of The Matrix, you know, following 
Following the, the rabbit. rabbit. Yeah, the white rabbit. And do you want to wake up, Alice? And, yeah. and all of that kind of commentary is, is even, really great. Even when they go on their first little mission, there's a very stark black and white floor. And that's, if you look into it far enough, that is in reference to that as well, where Alice in Wonderland, I believe in like the second iteration of it, she has to play chess against the queen or something. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I saw that flooring, I was like, they're highlighting this. And I kept that as a note in my head to research later. And it was Alice in Wonderland reference. Okay, so... Let's look back at the times really quick here. So the year is 1999. We're the year of Y2K, and there's this kind of general mistrust in technology and where technology is going. We're in the infancy of the internet era still, and there's, again, that trust in technology and where we are versus where we're going and still that relative... naivety or ignorance of our understanding of the technology that we're using around us and how it affects us as well. How it affects us and how it affects our world. Yes. And that's where they go dystopian and most people would we're kind of experiencing things like that now. And it's, yeah, it's very common theme, but I believe it was really rooted stronger in the 90s than like that was when it really got its roots and they did it so well in the matrix yeah and i think this movie lends itself some direct inspirations from some earlier 90s movies and it's maybe the height of a combination of these movies we've got terminator 2 judgment day which is one of the greatest action movies of all time we've got gattaca which i've never seen myself but i'd like to watch at some point on the on the podcast podcast (laughs) (laughs) very formal (laughs) uh the truman show which i think actually has some direct correlations with as well very much interesting yeah so they were very heavily experimenting in this space in the 90s yeah and even total recall as well Mm, yeah yeah like the 80s to 90s that's like our prime spot for this podcast and for where we have the most we've we have personally found the most enjoyment in film i think because yeah. it set up everything that we have now and it was very much the first time they really went into these themes deeply yeah and and there's something about kind of doing it first as well right that you can you can remake and you can you can try different things but there's just something often about the original touch that you you can't generate the same type of feeling for like again so much of the matrix has been copied and done since the matrix but none of them have the same impact on me that the matrix did very impactful overall it was everything all in one and they just summarized everything from that era basically yeah so yeah for me this is the height of man versus machine films basically Show me where this movie touched me, <laughs> Touch the deepest part of my brain. <laughs> Not as deep as the last episode, but... Not as deep as Eyes Wide Shut. No, yeah. but... See, this is where you talk about before, about the line. Yeah. And Eyes Wide Shut is just a whole different beast. It really is. Yeah. And, um... But there are a lot of aspects of that. They balanced it well within this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, balancing the... The audience, pay, the 
it's it's about balancing the pandering to the audience versus the different themes and ideas in the action to make something that's holistically just amazing from start to finish yeah and they just so much perfect balance of all the themes all the uh genres etc yeah yeah exactly so let's talk legacy a little bit here obviously wire foo was this isn't a new idea at this point uh neither is gun gun foo at this point however this was popularized by the matrix it for to north american audiences so basically for better for worse the wire foo gung foo the bullet time technology all of that is directly inspired by the matrix and you have that to thank or curse and all the movies that followed it over the last 20 years the gung fu i just want to dig into that a little bit because we've talked about wire fu a little bit already but gung fu is kind of the mixed martial arts using a weapon so you already referenced equilibrium which is kind of also, maybe the pinnacle of gun foo as well, even it's, more so than the Matrix. It's called gun kata in right. Equilibrium, and honestly, it, their use of guns and fighting was so much better than the Matrix. It's just they fell flat on the themes and the relevance mm-hmm. to the larger audience. Yeah, but their Equilibrium's gun kata and gun fu was just off the charts perfect yeah so gun fu without the matrix we wouldn't have the john wick series we would not have the john wick series as it is we wouldn't have the movie like wanted we wouldn't have the x-men series kick-ass kingsman like a lot of the comic book movies of today lend a lot of credence to the ideas conceptualized and and developed during the matrix as well django unchained also used some ideas from the gung fu from the matrix so wire fu again used very frequently in asian for the asian audience prior to the matrix but post matrix we've got a lot of use in the x-men series scooby-doo apparently used that the live action i kind of remember that briefly Um, again it was also in shrek even though they don't need that kill bill is also uses the wire foo and obviously quentin tarantino the master filmmaker that he is is able to identify those very interesting techniques and apply Mm. to them to his own films and again that was john woo so john woo is basically the creator of this and or Mm -hmm. at least the master of it and he was he came in for each of those films, the Kill Bills and the uh, Matrix. Yeah. I think a lot of Chris Nolan films owe some inspiration to the Matrix as well. Like, think about Inception. Just Mm. while we were watching it last night, said there's no way that the Inception movie was not heavily inspired by the matrix there's so many ideas used in inception that the matrix did first yeah like you can almost when you watch this if you haven't watched it for a long time or whatever or if this is your first time you might see the scenes where neo wakes up and then he wakes up again and then you might think like that's kind of campier that's kind of outdone by now by now yeah but that was pretty fairly original the way they filmed it and 
when you look at Inception, they obviously took it a step farther and went heavier into that side of things, but they got it from The Matrix. So other legacy stuff is just honestly just popular common sayings and ideas that have gone mainstream since The Matrix. So doing The Matrix, living in The Matrix, and the simulation. The red pill versus the blue pill is such an iconic idea. There's so many ideas that... There is no spoon. There is no spoon. He wasn't that high-pitched, but... Oh, he was. (laughs) You took it to, like, a creepy level. (laughs) I'm, honestly, I'm thinking of... There was a a cartoon on, like, pre-YouTube. Oh, yeah, I know know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, the, the last kind of legacy thing here is we wouldn't have Keanu, the beloved Keanu Reeves... That we know today without The Matrix. Like, this fundamentally changed not only his career trajectory, but some of his personal life, too. And the movie series John Wick, like, he he really absorbed a lot of this information and, and utilized it in his own life. Like, he's a he's a very martial arts-heavy kind of guy. And, and, and he so loves- zen. Yes, he very like- zen. There was, uh, I think, someone very recently, he had a video where someone asked him something like, what do you say to someone who is hating on you, kind of? And he's like, like, who cares? But the way he did it, I, I have to find it so I can reference it right now. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is just so beloved on the internet. And without The Matrix, we wouldn't have beloved Keanu Reeves. There's no flaw to his character, it seems, from the outside, especially because he's so private in his uh, personal life. Yeah. And and even those brief moments where people catch him out in the real world, where he doesn't know he's being watched or being filmed and stuff like that, he just proves his character time and time again. Yeah, and uh, the there's that YouTube clip of uh, someone who said, you're breathtaking or something. Like He's like, no, you're breathtaking. <laughs> it's just such a classic... Yeah, beautiful soul, beautiful soul. So we mentioned earlier kind of comparing Eyes Wide Shut to The Matrix, both movies coming out in 1999. And I think there's a bit of a fork in the road here with films. Um, The way that films went is towards more of an accessibility kind of route and, and stealing from The Matrix these different ideas and concepts of how to film different sequences to make them visually pleasing as opposed to the challenge that stanley kubrick presented with us for films to be more than just what we see basically Mm. and i i think that's where the fork is really is 1999 the pinnacle of human existence yeah you didn't know yeah Yeah, like the separation of art to um accessibility yeah and selling tickets essentially making money but i i think that's really interesting because i think eyes wide shut is more of an end of an era for cinema and the matrix is the beginning of something new yeah i think it's a very big transition period you could pin it to certain things uh, and i could agree that you could pin it to like those two but i think there's a lot more context going on that would have to be looked at right to like you could write a paper on something like that like mm-hmm. where you might start with those two and branch off there's a whole like merkle tree of different variants of what happened 
with that split, but it's if you boil it down, I, I could definitely agree with that assessment. They, I just think that movies could have gone two different routes with two very important films from 1999 and, and replicate the moments of The Matrix that was widely acceptable that people still talk about versus the moments of what eyes wide shut was trying to do essentially the action sequences i think i think if you look even within the matrix you could separate the two chunks of people Mm -hmm. and which ones are going to make more money there's the ones who loved just the action and the cool new stuff that was happening and i think they were willing to pay more for more of that whereas the people who came back and said, I wish there was more of the philosophy. I wish there was deeper into the world and they didn't do so much of the action. I think those people, they love a certain aspect of film, but they're not paying as much. Right. Yeah, that's fair. There's less of them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's fair. So yeah, like you can see the segments of the market Mm -hmm. and they really began looking at that in Hollywood during 1999 and around there. And that's where we see a lot of what we see today. Yeah. Let's get into our personal reviews and the partner factor. So personal reviews. I love this movie. It's as an action and theological film. It's one of the best. It's easily a top 20 film for me and probably comes in the latter half of the top 10. It's probably sitting I've never done a top 10 or top 20 list, but it's probably somewhere between 7 and 10, I think. I feel like my top 10 list is 100 movies long. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because yeah. You, I've seen so many good movies, and I'm I'm so bad at not liking a movie because I always find something to like, but I love this movie. And the what really nailed it for me was the unique acting mm-hmm. from Morpheus and Agent Smith. Because they embodied their character to a point where it's it's not just an actor in a role; it's the that actor in that role, and they just nailed it. Where their speech patterns, the way they, the way there's this little mouth grimace that Hugo Weaving does when he's speaking, he just nails it, and that's why it's at that such a high level for me yeah i'm surprised that after the matrix hugo weaving didn't have a million calls to be the bad guy in every other film ever basically because he he does just such a good job of nailing his character and the defining aspects of his character yeah and i think he has the opportunity to pick and choose and i think that's what he's done throughout his career Uh because he just has these big defining roles and not much else that I know of at least. Right. Like I, I see him in these big roles and it's like, it makes sense. He's there because he kind of does meld into the character quite a bit. Like yeah. His Elrond. Um, you, if you don't know the Hugo weaving as an actor, you probably aren't going to draw the comparison or the conclusion that Elrod and agent Smith are the same person. It's really hard to see the two. I, Probably growing up, I wouldn't have known that they were the same person. Yeah, same. Because we watched both of those pretty young, probably for our first time, so we're not really connecting the dots at that point. Yeah. But later, it's like, oh my god, how did I not know? Yeah, that's actually something that I'm going to dive into the Blake vault a little bit here and tell you a little story. I saw this movie when I was about seven or eight years old, 
uh, right after <laughs> it came out, I was over at my dad's friend's house, nice. and my my dad's friend at some point must have said, "Hey, we got to watch this movie. It's amazing." Mm. And so the way that their house was structured, basically, I could hide between the stairwell and the couch where they were sitting and watch the movie. And I managed to catch. It was probably about ten to thirty minutes into the movie, right when the red pill blues versus blue pill kind of starts and yeah. i vividly remember this scene and everything after that because i was like i can't leave this spot and i also don't want to be discovered watching this movie because there's no way this movie yeah. is something i should be watching at seven or eight yeah, years old fair. so i i saw this movie like super early and i've never ever told anyone that before actually yeah, so uh, unreal yeah yeah i didn't watch it until i was fairly older so that's cool you have that little memory yeah i i vividly remember scenes like like that scene or when they're in the house trying to escape with the the walls and everything that blew my mind i was like what is happening like why Mm. are the windows not windows and stuff like that like oh man yeah this movie had such a big impact on my outlook on cinema and my and even life as well a little bit so neo is a very important character to me Ah, cool. I probably watched rewatched it when I was probably fourteen or fifteen again, and at this point in time, I've probably seen it twenty times. I watch it almost annually. It still gets me excited and gives me butterflies in certain scenes or as certain things are building and, mm. and all of this, and and I notice different things every time or understand different pieces of yeah. it. So yeah, th- this is a special movie for me. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. The the things that stand out in pop culture, they're often misunderstood or at least not fully understood until you fully watch or rewatch. Like on it, it's been a little while before this year when I've watched it. I've watched it twice already. I completely forgot that during Neo's dodging bullets scene doing the Matrix, he actually does get grazed. Yeah. And that was just a little thing that was like, yeah, he's like that's the first time you see him becoming the one but he still gets grazed he's not there yet and trinity looks at him and she's like how did you move that fast i've only seen them do it looking at the agents yeah and at this point neo is kind of given up the idea that he actually is the one right and then this kind of just starts the process of proving it it was yeah like just those little details. That's what I love the most. And that's what I always remember the most is these little details that just nail it at the right time. Did you catch the, there is no spoon reference later in the movie? Yeah. The first, this is the first time I've ever caught this in 20 watches, but there's a scene where they're basically going to ride up an elevator shaft very quickly by cutting the wire on the elevator and yeah. And, and then flying back up it. And so just as he's about to shoot it, he says to himself, there is no spoon to psych himself up. I've never caught that because it's a very quiet because of the way that Neo and Keanu kind of did this. It's a very quiet, line but it's such an important line because it's it's really neo putting the pieces together and starting to put the pieces together yeah yeah and um another little aspect that i absolutely love i wish there was just just this clip on youtube but there's this little there's this fight scene in the train station which they set up as very western Mm -hmm. actually so that's another little 
there's even a little bit of Western music at the beginning of it. Too. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a newspaper that drifts by as they're eyeing each other yeah. up about to have a battle. So during that that fight scene, um, Agent Smith stops Neo's punch that's like very close to his throat or mm-hmm. face. And then he just sticks out his fingers really hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah, he makes yeah, the noise. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, it's just this, like, he blocks it, finger punches it's like his a, throat. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so quick. And it's just so awesome. Just that little extra thing that Neo's like, like just taking it a step further. And it's just a little funny moment. This is before movies down went down the route of, having action that's impossible to see like the blurry action kind of thing yeah. so there's a lot happening but none of it really means anything yeah. we see every single punch thrown and how it lands basically partner factor so jess and i actually watched this once before and i thought she hated it because she fell asleep and then she fell asleep in the second movie and then she fell asleep in the third movie so I I wasn't sure what to expect going into this. Turns out she was just really tired, and she enjoyed it this time. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So you rewatched it with her this time, and she made it all the way through? Yeah, she came in a little late due to some timing issues of when I could watch it before the podcast and get ready. But mm. she saw everything that she hadn't seen. She was... She was like, oh, okay, I remember this and this and this happening kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. But she said, she even said at the end, you know, like, this is a good movie, basically. Yeah, yeah. Annabelle was very similar. Uh, we watched it together a month or two ago. Bef- as soon as we kind of realized that they were making a fourth. Right. And then before we decided to start the podcast, really, or at least uh, go towards The Matrix. And so we enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't think um, anyone could not enjoy it. She watched it all the way through, had a few questions here and there. She was engaged in the film. So, yeah, overall, very good. I watched it last night as a recap on two times speed. <laughs> and she just thought it was hilarious the um, just how fast it was watching the certain scenes, the fight scenes and the the speaking just double time was just it was really funny i actually would suggest if you're ever bored or something watch this on double time it's pretty fun honestly i've seen it about 20 times i could use a little bit of a change up with how i view it next time yeah yeah it was uh especially that little uh throat punch scene (laughs) i believe that because it's it's fun in regular speed but i can imagine it just gets that little bit of a higher pitch yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Good times, yeah. Yeah. So sequels, prequels, and reboots is a good spot to talk about this because you just reference it. We do have two sequels to this movie, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix... Revolutions. Revolutions. So those came out very shortly after this. There was a... I mean, this... The Matrix itself was just such a huge, phenomenal cultural impact that there was no way that they weren't going to do more. We've done, we've done a pretty good job about analyzing The Matrix itself as a movie and that's because the first matrix movie really does stand up as a great film on its own the trilogy is also good like i enjoyed it there there's a lot of gripes with the other kind of two films and they're they're mostly the third i feel yeah mostly the third people have a lot of issue with but if if you loved the matrix and you need more of it 
they're serviceable. You could watch them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like an extra extension. Um, it's not as deep or as there are some amazing scenes. Oh yeah, for they, sure. Some of like the one of the greatest car chase scenes ever filmed. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, there's some great moments. It's just. Whereas this film is accessible, it gets a lot more convoluted in the second movie, and that accessibility is lost a little bit. Honestly, every time I watch the second movie, I understand something different than I did before, but I don't necessarily remember all the million other details going into it that you need to also understand watching it. And then the third movie, the biggest gripe is that it, it... feels a little anticlimactic a little bit yeah which was supposed to be this big uh like blow up experience which you would expect especially from what we're used to with trilogies that have lasted the the last the last one didn't really have that impact yeah and again it's a good action movie it's it's fun but it it doesn't hold the impact that the original matrix movie does so as well, there's a host of comics and video games that expand the universe in addition to I think there's some like short um, cartoons as well. Yeah, there's the yeah. Animat- Animatrix. Animatrix, yeah, yep. yeah. And all of those are actually considered canon mm-hmm. by the directors. So it's going to be interesting because there's another movie coming out. Yes. That's why we're doing The Matrix right yeah, now. Yeah, we're so pumped. Yeah, The Matrix Resurrections is coming out end of december december 23rd i believe in theaters which you and i are definitely gonna go see we're gonna get that whole experience that we've been talking about in previous episodes where we want that walkout yeah and with your buddies talking about what you just saw so we're gonna actually have that on the show so i'm pretty pumped for that yeah we're excited we're gonna be doing things a little bit differently this month actually something that you as the viewer aren't used to and we as the recorders as God aren't used to. Um, okay, there. <laughs> Tone it down. Hypnotoad says watch our podcast. <laughs> you figure it out how you're going to watch it. <laughs> but okay. sorry, anyway, I'm getting off topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to do a little recap of the second and third movie and a primer to get you ready to get into the third film that's coming out later December the or fourth, fourth film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The third sequel, the fourth yeah. film. I'll probably talk, touch on the comics, the video games, just kind of just in case there's maybe some details that are important from those. Because like I said, there's a little, there is canonity. I don't know if I use too many ends there, but just canon things, <laughs> <laughs> things that are canonized. canon now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so we're going to do a primer on those. It's going to be a different format a little bit, which I'm I'm really excited to test and play around with you. So With me or with like with us with the podcast? Well, we could probably play with each other yeah. and then <laughs> <laughs> We'll see where we go. And you guys can all listen in. <laughs> Uh, we'll have a, a lot of new sound effects to add to the film yeah. or to the podcast. Um, anyway, so that's kind of the plan for the next one. It, that should be coming out based on timing, probably the, the night or two nights before the Matrix comes out. So perfect timing to get back into the series. And like I said, that's those are going to be heavy spoilers because we want you to be ready to go into that film kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a full primer on what encapsulates the whole trilogy 
going into watching the fourth. Yeah, exactly. So so that's kind of the plan, and then we'll do our our walkout and and thoughts on the fourth movie a little bit later into December. Just just a little bonus content kind of thing. And yeah, that's that's where things are going for the next month. So really excited and really yeah, excited yeah. to put out that content. I'm looking forward to just getting back in a theater. Same here. That's going to be the second movie that I'm back in theater for. I'm actually going to see Dune tomorrow night, which I'm really excited oh, about. Yeah, it's so good. I wish I watched it in theaters. <laughs> that I, That's the experience that you want for yeah. those big movies. And uh, I, I don't think... I've had that experience since Blade Runner 2049. Such a good movie. Blade Runner 2049 probably goes in top 20 for me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And um, But yeah, having the experience of Dune in theaters will be great for you. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to The Matrix Resurrections in theater. Yeah, can't wait. This isn't the end, though, of our podcast. Keep keep listening <laughs> it sounded like a very formal end <laughs> yeah well i mean this is the point in time where if you haven't seen the matrix i don't understand you as a human being yeah. but that you, you could change that that's the great uh, thing young, about movies there's youngins yeah out there that maybe have just seen the references and thought they understand it enough or whatever or uh, there's some people that maybe just missed it yeah i, I don't know how but <laughs> yeah anyways anyone anyone can watch it it's very accessible and um, has some great film history. It is. It's a part of film history. So it's part of culture. Yeah, it's a part of our culture. Definitely go watch it. Yeah. So this is the point in time where we're gonna pause or ask you to pause if you haven't seen the movie yet, because we're getting into spoilers. I've got some great stuff I want to talk about here. So go watch the movie and then come back and hang out with us and, you know, send us your comments and your feedback. Let's discuss some things about the matrix. Yeah. Any, any small details that we may have missed, or you think you might be the first one who's seen there's, that's always stuff that we love to talk about. We'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah. And maybe we'll feature you on the next episode. Oh, maybe. Mm, yeah. Spicy. Mm. Okay. Let's do it. Spoilers. First, we could talk action sequences a little bit, like Trinity's opening action sequence. We've we've gone over a few times. Yeah, yeah. just incredible. There's the action sequences as Neo's deter becoming he's the one and doing the the training. Yeah, the even the training is yeah, great. Yeah, and and like they, the way that they film that too, they like they they had the characters kind of like pulling punches a little bit, like you would like. Well, you're training yeah, kind of yeah. thing, so... The way Morpheus just kept pushing him and showing... It was just phenomenal training sequence. Yeah, and over. even the build-up to that, too, where he's just like, I know Kung Fu. And and they're, yeah. like, downloading the different combat systems into his brain, basically. Mm. is is so fun. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, they have a name for that um, program, that training program. I forget exactly what it is, but it was... Just a cool little thing that I liked about it. They, I don't remember either. So they have a, it's a separate training program that they coded mm-hmm. inside and outside of the Matrix. It's separate from the Matrix. Yeah. And they just have control over that and they could just upload everything into the whoever's mind. I, that might have been the first time that you see that because that's a really cool concept. Yeah, I mean, it's probably mentioned in past sci-fi, but definitely the for one of the first times we see that on film. Yeah, yeah. 
in the in the beginning sequence again right before we see all the action yeah. i love just the interaction between the cop who showed up with his he sent in two teams to attack trinity or mm-hmm. to capture trinity and then agent smith shows up and he's just so badass and um he's uh the the cop is like don't give me that jurist my diction crap you could cram it up your ass trying to be like the classic cop yeah to the um the guy in the black suit who came in to take over and um he's like i sent in two units and then agent smith's uh response is no your men are already dead. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it set up everything. That, yeah. It was just like another little scene within that first scene that set everything up. It was just great. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, you know, we get our opening sequence with Agent Smith and seeing how much of a badass he is, too. And even that disgust for humanity because this is a cop. This is like somebody who's working on his side, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And he's still just disgusted in yeah. the idea of him existing. Yeah. Basically. Like, he's just so superior and it just oozes out of him. Yeah. So, okay, I have a question for you. I and I don't I don't know if there's probably something some sort of back history or something in some of the extra uh expansion content what happens to the hijacked humans basically what happens to their brains yeah like yeah are they are they just temporarily turned off of the matrix is it like oh they wake up and it's a dream and like whatever but uh, i think they're dead i think, think i think they're dead and they just get rid of that battery and grow a new one that's how the that the it's worth it to the program to do to run the Smith program. Right. So if it wastes, if Agent Smith's waste a few uh, human batteries, it doesn't really matter because they have trillions. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're right. It probably is just that's the way things had to be, but it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It is, yeah, it is a cool concept. I hadn't thought about that, but that's, yeah, that's what I would assume f- yeah. based on the logic of the uh, the computer. Well, maybe it's something I'll find out in in our research uh, for the primer for the next episode. Does this give you crypto or like anti-establishment vibes a little bit, like the current kind of trend? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, this is something that I wanted to mention earlier: uh, the use of "Rage Against the Machine" songs. Yeah, that is it's very anti-establishment. Like Agent Smith is the boring face of government bureaucracy yeah. turned extreme. The humans are trying to just be human and fully human, not uh, this fake version. So that is almost exactly what anti-establishment movements are going for, really. Right. And um, yeah, relating to crypto, like cryptocurrencies and blockchain, mm-hmm. this is kind of a way for us to take control mm-hmm. in a human way using certain um we we can create a trust system in the numbers without giving all the control to the numbers Mm. or control to the program so it's a it's a cool balance of that i think if if they don't reference that in the new matrix i don't know if they will Mm -hmm. but that it would be a cool reference if they could show how the humans in the matrix universe kind of use the programs to their benefit instead of giving up all control 
Right. And that's where, yeah, that's a cool thing you brought up with the crypto. I didn't think of that really. So the humans used as an energy source, this has kind mm. of been done quite a bit and I highly recommend there's probably a few dozen YouTube videos that you can watch after this, but there's a lot of discussion about humans being a terrible source of energy as a battery, basically. I'm not going to argue that people with a lot more science-y backgrounds than me have discussed uh, that back and forward, but really like... Are there any other alternatives in this world at this point? This dead, decrypt world, basically? Yeah, like what... See, it's kind of crazy because you would think that these... um, This AI would... If they needed an energy source, they would just fly to the sun and create a Dyson Sphere or something. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And they would have that capability. So... I don't think the sun is gone. It's just blotted out from the world. Yeah, it's just blotted out. So, but if the um, AI is just too specific within its code, then it might not even think that it could leave the earth. Maybe that's where that goes or maybe it's where it falls short. Yeah, I might be diving a little bit too deep into here. Oh yeah, but... um, even today, I don't think we have, we don't have a computer that could do what the brain does. No. So that's where, and I don't think they would have known that in 1999. They they might have, well, they definitely knew that then, but they didn't know how hard it would be for us at even this point Yeah. to um, conceptualize how to efficiently operate something as great as the brain. Yeah, but, because a lot of AI now, the way that it's been explained to me is that Essentially, AI can be taught very well how to do very specific tasks. Think of the chess playing mm-hmm. uh, AI, but a chess playing AI is going to be able to cook you breakfast right now no. or other stuff like that. It doesn't have the multifaceted different kind of areas of the brain that our human brains have. And we're still really far off from that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, like a full general AI, yeah. we, we don't have access to. We only have very specific, yeah. Yeah. What I loved uh, was just the the little uh, references to that time that kind of stuck where, like, the cell phone. It was a Nokia. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, I think, like a 1770 or something like that is the brand. I looked it up because I, I just liked how when he pulled it out of the manila envelope or whatever, right. um, it, it sprung out. Yeah. And it was just, like, so cool. Is uh so I actually looked it up and they added that little spring loaded feature the year after the Matrix oh, no came out because of the Matrix. Yeah, and the so, demand for that. Yeah, yeah. So and it was such a cool vibe of that nineties atmosphere. Yeah, say what you want. Some of those flip phones or the slide phones and stuff like that, just they had a, a funness to them. Yeah. There's a and fun factor there. I've actually seen there's a little bit of a movement happening within uh, the Gen Z kids these days mm. that um, they're actually getting rid of their iPhones and smartphones and they're going back to flip phones and they're actually being a little bit more um, interactive with daily life. Huh. So that's, that's cool. Maybe they, uh, you guys should all go get one of those uh, Nokia's. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should leave the Matrix for once in your life. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the bug scene. So oh, the, the yeah. Way, the, the way they bugged Neo after he decided not to follow Morpheus and go out the window and escape, yeah. he got captured by the agents and he got bugged. 
Yeah, that's that's such a crazy scene too. I think ten year old me probably started there because I remember the mouth like melting moment fairly well, and then and then they stick the bug into his belly button and suck it back out. Those are pro very visceral moments. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they make me squirm. Yeah, so yeah, they had a a bug that would track wherever Neo went because Agent Smith's directive is to find Morpheus. And yeah. he believes that Neo is in contact. He knows Neo is in contact with Morpheus. So he bugs him with an actual like mechanical bug through the belly button. And then that's when Neo wakes up from his dream. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit right now. This is a good segue into Agent Smith's ulterior motives in the film. So, so Agent Smith at this point is so disgusted in humanity that he's basically developed beyond his initial protocol. And he essentially wants to, the reason why he's after Morpheus is to get the codes to Zion so that he can effectively end the war and then not be necessary anymore so that he can basically just go off and do his own thing and maybe escape the Matrix. Like, yeah, or just go to sleep or like finish his program. Yeah, um, but this is what he said and this is when he's captured Morpheus and that hate and vileness when he's alone with him and he's like, He's like, I want to get out. And like all of that, the, uh, just the delivery of all of those lines is so good. Yeah, I've got it right here, actually. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink, and every time I do, I fear that I have somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? I must get out of here. I must get free. And in this mind is the key, my key, shaking Morpheus's head. Yeah. And his bald head, he's just yeah, grabbing yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so like he's, it's basically, he, Agent Smith is kind of like a sub AI within the larger AI. And yeah. his, he had one prime direct, directive, which was to get rid of all of these, um, the people who so there's humans we haven't talked about this there's humans left alive in the old planet that aren't connected to the battery system and the matrix and they're survivors and they live in a born outside of the matrix yeah they live in a place called zion yeah the last free city of earth yeah and it's way underground underneath all the old sewage systems yeah and agent smith's directive is to hunt out and destroy those last humans Mm -hmm. and the only way you can do this is through morpheus but it seems like the ai that is agent smith has grown and adapted through his adaptations of trying to catch these humans he's really grown this hate and distaste which is really cool for you if you think about like what a a computer program can learn in that world and that that hatred is what drives him basically and and we even see that he breaks off from the other agents and the other agents notice that something's wrong with him basically yeah yeah because when i whenever he disconnects from those other agents that's when he delivers these just perfect speeches about his hate and disgust and the things he's learned about humans yeah it's very uh, cool that's uh, one of my favorite aspect. lines of movies of all time yeah yeah the way he delivered it, though. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This, Like I said, this is a career-defining moment for me. 
for Hugo Weaving. I will always remember Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. No yeah. other role will do that for me for him. Oh, I do have a very curious question. Okay. Um, it may be a plot hole. There are no plot holes. <laughs> there is no spoon. Um, so they have this birthing mechanism that we see Neo become birthed. Um, Keanu Reeves, Reeves actually had to, that was the last shot scene in the movie where he was, had that birthing process where right. he actually had to lose like 15 pounds. And like, yeah. I think they like shaved everything on his body. Yep. That was where his acting really shined for me, where he was just acting like some adult who had been birthed in this crazy scenario. It was perfect. Right. But why do they have this whole birthing system built in? And at what point in that process does the do the survivors of the, on the Nebuchadnezzar capture him? How do they get him out? It's part of the programming because the red pill is part of a trace tracking device. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so they know where he is in the birthing and electrical area. I, I don't know why they dispose of them. My guess is it has to do with the second and third movie and them talking about free will and having to program into the matrix, having people who can escape and have Mm. that free will for themselves to try to fight. Yeah. Because otherwise they probably, if somebody were to wake up, they would have probably just in other regards, just killed them and liquefied it for food for the other humans, basically. Yeah, that's fair. That's what I was assuming, and um, because basically they're they're born in this pod. The uh, the machine rips the thing out, like all the cords out of their yep. heads and their body, and then it flushes them down a tube into some water. And at that point, comes down a claw, which might be just the survivors catching him. Really, that like water was just supposed to wash him away like yeah another another hypothetical here is that maybe the the other part of the red pill is not just a tracking device but some sort of virus and Mm -hmm. the machine maybe detects that virus and rather than maybe letting that virus infect other humans through food or or connections through the matrix or whatever it just decides to like dispose of it through there and you know like the water system like he should drown at that point. He's never used his muscles, right? Yeah. So that is that would be an effective way to exterminate a human. That's fair. Yeah, that's a, that kind of sorts the plot hole. And then that's when the survivors come and claw, claw. him out. Yeah, the claw. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite scenes here is, like you said before, final fight scene between... Um, Agent Smith and Neo and how it begins down in the subway and and there's just so many lines and moments during the fight like when he says Mr. Anderson with the amount of vile that he puts into it it's it's so amazing like he's I can't even I don't think I could do it. It's just like Mr. Anderson like and he just pronounces every syllable of it too but there's there's even great moments in there as well where everybody's 
outside of the matrix watching them kind of show down and and they're standing there and they're going like what's happening everything and morpheus yeah. drops the line he's beginning to believe yeah and like yeah, i was yeah. just like fist pumping yeah. like 20 times through this movie i'm still fist pumping at that yeah. like let's go like yeah. this is honestly top five greatest 1v1 duels of all time definitely and the there's so much that sets it up to be that way. Yeah. Like there's so many little moments during the process of him becoming the one. And then that happens and he just, just goes off. And, and they're so perfectly opposite each other as well, Mm -hmm. because agent Smith's contrast with, with Neo's like love for humanity. And you know, he, he effectively earlier in the film, the Oracle says you are going to have to choose whether to sacrifice your own life or Morpheus's. And that's a choice that you have to make. And knowing what he knows about the Oracle, he assumes that I have to, this is, this is my destiny and I cannot change what it, what the Oracle tells me because that's what everyone else thinks. And that's what the Oracle tells everyone. So more or sorry. So Neo is going into that rescue operation, assuming he is going to die to yeah. save Morpheus and that Morpheus's life is worth more than his own, basically. Yeah. And I think that was so essential because I, obviously the Oracle knew that he, but that might, he was the one. Yeah. He, she knew he was the one, but she didn't tell him that because if she told him that he wouldn't have done this yeah. to save Morpheus, who was obviously super important. Telling him, one, that he's not the one, and two, that he has to save Morpheus, and three, that Morpheus fully believes that he is the one. Yeah. It just creates this perfect scenario for him to, for it to all click at that one moment, and he says, like, I have to do this. Yeah. I think, like, Trinity's, like, no one's ever done this before. Like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And Tank is about to rip the uh, cord out of Morpheus's head to save themselves. Mm-hmm. It's just a perfect storm that all was all set off by the Oracle, and he just fully connects at that one moment. It's great. I love the character of the Oracle. She, she messes with things in such a fun way. Like, you brought up the comment before about the vase but she really messes with neo a little bit during that and and like asking about the cookie and and even when he enters um the lady says you can wait with the other um the other potentials yeah and it that even that just throws him off he's like oh my god there's other potentials yeah and, i, and I might actually just kids. not be the one yeah yeah like the it was probably set up by the Oracle. Yeah. Like, it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I I love the Oracle and the way she messes with him. And the way... The way that she... She basically forces him to have to believe in himself or else he would never become the person he is. It That, that has to start from himself and nobody can tell him differently, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Annabelle thinks every time she sees this uh, that the Oracle is whoopee. <laughs> Whoopi fucking Goldberg. It's not Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Sadly, the actress who played the first, the Oracle in the first movie, did die, and then she was uh, replaced in the second one. Yeah, second one doesn't do it as well either. Yeah, yeah. I really like the she, original Oracle. Yeah, like just the like the knowing eyes that she had, the yeah. like the depth and the playfulness of her. It was yeah, just great. Very nurturing. Yeah. 
Do you want to talk some kind of comparisons to biblical Jesus, biblical other prophets or whatever to Neo? Like we've got the baptizing into the real world from the pods. Mm-hmm. We've got his death and resurrection. Like there's yeah. there's so there's a lot of like direct connections. And I brought up the the theme, the religious themes before, but I, I couldn't dive into them because I, that's it's very spoiler heavy in that kind of regard. Yeah, there's a lot there, and um, you mentioned most of the key scenes. There's yeah. a few others that uh, come to mind, but it's pretty cool how they worked that in, and it's not super obvious, but it, once you get that connection, it 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 shows itself. Yeah, I wonder if uh, J.K. Rowling had the idea to kill Harry Potter for the Horcrux based mm. on the Matrix, because technically <laughs> the Matrix did it first where the oracle said that one of them had to die and neo died well it has been done in other fiction like the bible before but (laughs) (laughs) i mean non-fiction i don't know (laughs) i'll leave that one alone but um, all right fair (laughs) enough fair enough but yeah uh who did she reference i don't know yeah like when you watch it now I think I don't know what it was like back in 1999 to have watched that scene where uh, her kiss brings him to life again. Right. Like it's a. I don't hate that they included it, yeah. and it 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 ties in some things that they threaded throughout, like Trinity's um, love for him and mm-hmm. stuff. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. The fact that she kissed him after he died, after he was flatlined. And yeah. he just wakes back up and is the one. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. That's a valid gripe. That's the only thing that's super surface level, I think, is the romantic aspect of the movie. It is a bit forced. Yeah. 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 I think she, um, Trinity really played it well. It's just the that end scene where it solidifies a little bit more. Yeah. Like, they're, her... Her almost mentioning to Neo that um, the Oracle told her that... I don't know if we actually see that in this movie. Um, No, but she says that she's destined to fall in love with the one, and, yes. and that's how she'll know. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that aspect I, I liked. Yeah. It was just the waking him up from the dead scene. Yeah, it was probably a little bit of... I think it's called the Deuce Ex Machina or whatever. It's where you paint Deus yourself in... Ex Machina? Yeah, it's, I think that's where you kind of paint yourself into a corner, essentially, and you have to use, like, something outside of what's going on, something a little bit kind of out there to get out of the situation a little bit. If I remember correctly, a Deus Ex Machina is a actual machine that lifted things up into the set of a, um, a show, like a... No, it's a, a plot. De- it's a plot device whereby a seemingly unsolvable problem in a story is suddenly and abruptly resolved by an unexpected and unlikely occurrence. So, I mean, it's not quite that, but yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's interesting that Deus Ex uh, Machina is actually involved heavily in one of the later movies. I'm just googling it now. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Honestly, like that that final fight scene is amazing like even after he dies and then comes back i was just i'm having a blast at that point where neo's got one arm behind his back and yeah. he's just easily like deflecting agent smith 
And he has that one kick where he does kick him. He does yeah. one, at least one kick in the movie. And then he does like a weird bringing his leg yes. back behind him super slowly. I want to say that that's been referenced also in other yeah, more is. modern movies. But it was just, it's funny and also kind of badass, but also silly. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Don't think about that too hard. Yeah, yeah. But going back to the Deus Ex Machina, it uh-huh. was a machine that was used to bring gods onto the stage, and the gods were the ones who solved the problems oh, in a plot. Oh, okay, I see. And uh, Deus Ex Machina translates to God from the machine. <laughs> so that fits with the Matrix. Yeah, it does. I for, for me the first 20 minutes of the movie always feels like a dream like it's always kind of hazy in my memory and it to me it makes the matrix feel less real like it it makes everything prior to his awakening almost a little dreamlike yeah so just a cool factor like it seems weird because like I said before like parts that I don't remember means I don't generally like the film um or not that I don't like it but I just don't it's not a great film for me but I think there's a way in which it's filmed at the beginning to make it seem almost unauthentic, basically. Like, he does say to Neo at some point that you've been kind of drifting through life, like, unawake and mm-hmm. and knowing so- that something's not quite right kind of thing. And I feel that in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, and all of... That was probably super intentional because, like, all of Morpheus's things, all of his quotes are, like, wake up. Yeah, and it's basically it's a very strong underlying theme, and the fact like the the office scene at the beginning is just so such a clinical like perfect office, like it looks like it was in the movie Office Space. (laughs) It was just like quintessential office, and you could tell that that's that's what life was like for most people. It was just that, and that cements in your brain like what it was like to be Neo or sorry to be Thomas Anderson and everyone else who is in the matrix. And it's when you're working that much and that hard and it's in that kind of environment, it is like you're dreaming every day. 1999, the pinnacle of human existence. (laughs) (laughs) They did have some cool buildings in the scene, in the scenery of the, uh, that 1999 peak. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did talk about, we did talk about agent Smith's quotes about hating hatred for humanity, but just the action sequence in saving Morpheus is just amazing from start to finish. Like they walk into the building and I love the chain sound. That's like ding, ding. You kind of know what I mean when they're walking in and and they're about to like rip out all of the guns kind of thing. Yeah. I loved that, and then it and then it just effortlessly kind of like moves in as this action starts, and it's just like that action kind of music hits in kind of thing, and I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, and it just builds so great, and the the helicopter scene that is a classic yeah. as well. That there's so many classic scenes that have been redone and reused after this that they just nailed. Mm-hmm. And but they became these like cultural icon scenes. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, helicopter scene, especially um, because like Neo's like wake up Morpheus. Yeah. And then he so so that's it's almost the flip. Yeah. Where Morpheus has been trying to wake Neo up, and now Neo is saying like Morpheus wake up, and then he wakes up and he does that whole 
jump to the the helicopter and he's not going to make it. And then he jumps out and saves him. Yeah, it's like he restores hope and belief in Morpheus. And that's something, that's the only way that Morpheus becomes broken as a character. Or, actually, I think it's something more along the lines of he picked up his cross. Yeah, 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 I like this. I like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because Morpheus has been carrying this uh, cross or this burden for so long. Mm -hmm. He was was one of the first people to wake up from the Matrix after the first who was the original one that we don't know much about at this point. Yeah, and he's still, like, he's the leader of the Nebuchadnezzar, but he's also obviously a leader of Zion as well yeah. and quite revered by his team and and seemingly by the rest of Zion and so he's carrying the belief that humanity can become victorious and that he can find the one mm. and and yeah that and he that, was he was so beat down by Agent Smith in that yeah. scene and he's poisoned and um tortured and everything yeah, yeah. All he wanted was Neo to survive, mm-hmm. but then Neo comes back, saves him, and he's like, "Wake up!" Yeah, and he's like, "It's like just that connection is cool." Yeah, one of the greatest bromances of all time, right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely up there. Yeah, the unplugging scene with Cipher, we we talked touched on a little bit earlier. I really like that as well. They're kind of having that emotional back and forth. Actually, this is kind of relates to this a little bit. This is actually one gripe that some people have with the matrix is that there's too much action going on and it detracts from all of the like philosophical ideas of the movie. But in my opinion, this goes back to something that you and I have talked about before where this film has accessibility so that people can watch it and get what they want out of it basically. And, and if you reduce the action to add more philosophical then you get into the second movie a little bit more and people get it gets convoluted and people get confused and it's not as accessible and it doesn't it doesn't become as iconic as yeah. as it is kind of thing i mean you can get nitpicky on a little yeah, bit of the it's, back and forth but it's like if you look at kubrick's earlier films they had a bit more of everything it was a little bit more accessible compared to eyes wide shut yeah so obviously the people who are super into the philosophy and like the deeper aspects and they really get into the world that has been created by the Wachowskis mm-hmm. that they're going to be a little bit disappointed, but for the first time viewers and the people just rewatching after a long time, it is so good that, and like most people don't go as far as we might, or these uh, people who are upset about that might, there is enough there that they shouldn't be too upset about that. I, I don't want to dive into too many more scenes. There, Just start to finish this movie is one of the most memorable movies. So many quotes, so many scenes. Yeah. We've, we've talked about how every character, every actor perfectly displayed what their character could mm. and should have been. For me, going forward with this, I, I really want to watch some kung fu movies with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I almost think that we need to have, like, a foreign film month, basically. Yeah, because those are all within our period of time, yep. like Enter the Dragon and mm-hmm. um, things like that. Like some, some Jackie some Chan films. Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, Jet Li. Jet Li. Yeah, I really want to dive into that a little bit more, and I think I wrote that down in our notes that that we need to come up with a film a foreign film month because this is the perfect time to start diving into that stuff with the advent of Netflix and streaming 
the foreign films and non-English language films are, I think, posed have a really big reconnaissance movement right now Mm -hmm. with people being open to reading subtitles, essentially. Yeah, like it started, I think, from my knowledge, with Dark on Netflix. Dark and Narcos. Dark, Narcos. Narcos. Yeah. And um, then especially today with... Squid Game. Squid Game. Yeah. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that came out in 2000, right after this, and mm-hmm. they went so hard into the wire kung fu. Mm-hmm. Wire fu. Wire fu. That's something... I watched that as a kid when I was way too young. I was seven at that time. Right. And I watched a certain few scenes of that, and I was just horrified. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene with a circular-type blade... And it just cuts into someone's forehead, uh, and like all, like almost all the way through. Right. And um, I was way too young to be imagining that and having that stuck in my head. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> oh, the uh, for anyone who wanted to know, the car in the scene where they're debugging Neo mm-hmm. is a 1965 Lincoln Continental. Mm-hmm. I had to look that up because it was such a perfect car for that scene. And like the coloring and and in that scene, I, I just wrote this down because I'm dumb. But the um, Morpheus told him to go to this bridge at a certain like a certain street. It was like the Walker Bridge or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he waited underneath the bridge. I was just thinking, like, how did he know to go underneath and not on top? Like, you know what I mean? Was right. he just standing there for a while thinking, like, should I be on top of the bridge or should I be under the bridge? Yeah. Where are they going to meet me? Am I in the wrong place? <laughs> That's what I would be thinking if I was in that situation. I'd be like, man, Morpheus didn't tell me. <laughs> just a funny little dumb thing. <laughs> yeah, true. With all the glasses, the sunglasses being so important in to the characters, it was really cool to see Morpheus break Agent Smith's glasses. Yeah. Because the glasses hold a lot of the characters and yeah, sort of what's going on. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. significant. Yeah, they, they attached a, a decent amount of the story to what the glasses represent to a certain degree. You could also say that the glasses may even represent like a certain level of, of sanity within the character's world. Basically like when Morpheus loses his glasses, it's under the torture. Mm -hmm. When, when Smith's glasses are broken, that's when he really, we see the Smith become unhinged and breaking from protocol a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. He gets like really close to Morpheus and on that level and gets rid of his glasses and his earpiece because the earpiece is kind of important. Yes. Just not really, but it's just like part of the look. Well, and and that's his connection to the Matrix a little bit because he didn't know what was happening outside or what was ongoing outside. Oh, there's just just this one line. Just I don't I don't know the full line, but it's when Agent Smith is basically beating up Neo, and he's he's holding him on the train tracks, and um, he's like, "Do you hear that? It's the sound of inevitability." <laughs> yeah. Just perfect. There's so many good lines. There's so many great lines by Smith, by Morpheus, like even. 
I don't know, even the lines from Cypher I enjoyed too. Like oh, yeah. when, when he's talking about how like shitty human existence is now and how yeah. he just wants to live in the bliss yeah, of, yeah. of that. I love I love Cypher's like accent as well. Yeah. Um it really works perfectly with his character. Like he was cast perfectly as yeah. well. Even his uh his little Goatee. Goatee. It's, it's not goatee. even a goatee. It's a soul, soul patch. patch. Soul yeah. patch. Even his glasses, his smile, the, everything. Yeah, it was yeah. it was perfect. Yeah, he was perfectly cast. I mean, at this point, like, let us know important stuff that we missed or, or your favorite moments from The Matrix as well. Tell us about some of the themes that we didn't necessarily dive into that uh, you thought were really important to you or to the film itself. There's so many little details. I would love to hear every single one. So if you guys have anything, throw it up. All right, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks we'll for listening time. to... Vintage Cinema Rewind. Rewind. Wind, 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 wind. wind. <laughs>